coming up on this episode. He founded Mycroft AI. He spent time at System76 while the ideas of Pop! OS and the Thaleo PC were just being bounced around. And he wears three important hats at Mozilla Thunderbird. Ryan Sipes is here to talk with us about his past, present, and future Linux and open source adventures. Linux for Everyone, episode 40, starts right now. Oi, meu nome é João Pedro. Estamos ouvindo Linux Forever, Rio de Janeiro, Brasil. Welcome home. Joining us on this episode of Linux for Everyone is Ryan Sipes of Thunderbird. And Ryan, what exactly do you do at Thunderbird? I, I never asked you your uh, official title. So my title uh, is Community Manager and Business Development Manager. Uh, and I have another title because there's a council who runs Thunderbird, the project. Mm -hmm. And on the council, I'm the treasurer. So I've got three different <laughs> three titles very, rolled up. Yeah, there. three very distinct hats. And you've been there for how long? Three, almost three years. So you're here. You're here basically to tell us about a success story. But I want to back way up and yeah. find out your own um, origin story. Like how, sure. how did you get into Linux? How did you discover it? How did you fall in love with it? Sure. Um, well, some of your audience might actually know me. I've been around for a long, long time. I uh, fell in love with Linux in high school. I was on, I was living on a farm in Missouri and uh, had dial-up internet, 28.8 oh. kilobits per second until I graduated. And so to be able to even try Linux, I had to go to school and use their T1 connection to download images. Wow. And then going from, so going from a dial up at home to a T1 at school, that's, that's insane. Yeah. Yeah. But it was, it was a great formative experience, but it was also really hard because, you know, I couldn't just download stuff at home and play with it. I had to like be very deliberate about choosing, <laughs> you know, what distros I wanted to yeah. play with and stuff like right. that. It wasn't and, just like, well, I'll download every flavor of Ubuntu 2004 and just, you know. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, so what did you what did you uh, first choose? Do you remember? I've been asked this a few times. Uh, I know I used the first release of Ubuntu, uh -huh. but um, I don't think that was the first distro that I used. I think it was like Mandrake. I hear Mandrake a lot. Mandrake or or uh, Red Hat or or SUSE before it was OpenSUSE, right? Yeah. The thing I loved most about it because I was like 14 was uh, about any Linux distribution was uh, installing um, all the stuff that enabled me to do like desktop cube and like wobbly windows. Oh, I don't know yes. if you've seen that yet. Oh, believe me. Yeah. I, I know when, um, when I got my wife into Linux, we were on this hunt for like, okay, this is all great and everything. Yeah. Snaps, whatever. Awesome. Everything <laughs> works. Okay. But how do we enable the cube, <laughs> the, the yeah. desktop cube, right? That 3d cube. Yeah. That As a geek cool. comp is, comp is, right? Yes. Comp is. Comp That's, is. It. Yeah. That's it. I actually got it running. Well, we'll get there in a moment, but I worked at system 76 for, a year and some change, and I uh, got it oh, running. Oh, I, that was completely unintentional, there. by the way, that I was wearing. <laughs> yeah. So uh, anyway, I, I loved Linux. I loved it so much that I actually did a really bad thing, and like uh, I don't know what came over me, but I actually installed it on like half the computers in the computer lab at school. <gasps> just like so wiped them just and wiped them, and oh my god, oh my. <laughs> I don't. God. I looking back like. I, it wasn't like a, a dumb or like a really weird kid. I just, I just for some reason was like, this is great. Like no one will notice and just, <laughs> and just did it. Um, but uh, oh, yeah, man. people, people did notice, but some people didn't. Some people just rolled up and just started That's, using what it. What a great you know. story. But fast forward, I became a sysadmin for 
quite a few years of my early career. And then uh, I put together quite a few lugs. I put together uh, the first Kansas Linux Fest. Obviously not alone. It was with mm-hmm. help, but we had a great turnout. It was like, it, for just being this like, let's have a Linux Fest. We had, I, I don't know, a ton of people like all in all over the whole time. We almost had a thousand people, I think. Um, wow. Wow. And, Man. <laughs> yeah. And then... Uh, I'm starting to see why you're a community manager now over (laughs) at, uh, yeah. Yeah. I started a company called Mycroft. Um, There, you can go to mycroft.ai, the open source like Amazon Alexa. Before, it was before the Echo. What are beans? Beans serving size 130G, total calories 132, fat calories 4. Percent daily value carrot asterisk total fat four hundred thirty three mg one percent saturated fat sixty one mg zero percent trans fat cholesterol zero g zero percent sodium two hundred sixty four mg eleven percent total carbohydrates twenty five percent dietary fiber seven g I've heard enough about beans. It it was very hard though. It's very hard to just do that from almost nothing. You know, I left there. I left it in my co-founder's hands, and I went mm-hmm. to. Um, System 76, where I was community manager, uh, and for a year and some change. And then, uh, I actually helped with the idea of like pop OS. Like, oh, yeah? I remember the meeting where, um, I was in favor of rolling out a, our, we were talking about whether we should stay with Ubuntu. Right. Uh, or we should do like our own thing. Or if we should team up with uh, an existing um, flavor, like um, Elementary was floated. There's still, and, I mean, there's still some some shades of Elementary in Pop OS, or is it that there's yeah shades of Pop OS in Elementary? The installer, you guys share that. Yeah. Um, the installer, and I believe the uh, the the software store as well it, had some of the same elements. So Cassidy, James, and I were there at the same time. Early on, it was mostly. Like him and I would walk into Carl's office and say, we should like essentially do whatever we can to acquire elementary OS, just hire all the people, bring them yeah, in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, they did that with a, just started hosting some of those binaries in their own. Wow. Repos. I mean, what a, what a great time to be at System76 with the, <laughs> you know, the, the concept of Pop! OS forming and, and probably some very early plans for things like the Thaleo. I uh, saw like three different were... versions of Thaleo that no one ever saw. Oh yeah, the prototypes. Yeah. yeah. Are you three, sure? Three... I've, I've seen I've seen prototypes. Now Emma showed me two or very early prototypes, but I don't know if those were the original prototypes. Uh, I know there was one way I was convinced it was going to look. The the first one I saw, like there was almost. It's so crazy how much it changed because there was almost no discussion, you know, with, there was just like the first one I was introduced to was like, mm-hmm. this is how it's going to look. And <laughs> they and, went through like dozens of iterations <laughs> before the final design. It's still yeah. going through iterations. It's still As being it uh, slightly updated. Yeah, it's great. Uh, I'm kind of bummed that I got mine before they introduced the, uh, the, the various shades the uh, the color you know the, yeah. the red especially the although, red and the blue like ah oh. although the the two that they released originally the bamboo and the um, walnut, walnut yes yeah yeah those are so beautiful though those are like yeah. I understand but like at the same time if you have one of those like it's it it's a detractive machine one of the last things I'll I'll say about um, Thaleo is uh, that is a product that also had a ton of thought that went into it. I remember like Carl would be sitting there with, he's probably already told you all this, but he would be sitting there. I would go in his office and he would just have different woods and different metals just on his table. And he would be like touching them, like, like, you know, looking at them for a long amount periods of time. Hmm. And it's crazy how they're still executing on the vision that was set out then, which was like computers, you know, which we wanted to get out this desktop keyboard you know and other accessories and then uh and then a laptop laptop you know and it's crazy that they're that to just see it continue to go and to go and um them to iterate on these things it's just 
It's I cannot scary. wait to, I, I hope that at some point we all go to another super fan event or they have a press conference or, or <laughs> something. And we see, you know, three or three years down the road, maybe we see all of the system 76 laptop prototypes. Yes. Like, what did those look like? How thick were they? What were the materials? Uh, but anyway, I know that my, my listeners are going to, are going to kill me because they're like, you find a way to talk about system 76 in every episode. Anyway, it's because they're so interesting. <laughs> they are there. And, but here's a segue. Linux for everyone and the entire Destination Linux network has a brand new sponsor, Bitwarden. A password manager is all about trust, right? But you can't trust a product if the developers don't trust their users. Bitwarden trusts their customers by making their software open source and completely auditable. Something I've always appreciated even before I started my Linux journey. Everyone at DLN has been telling me how easy Bitwarden is, and I'm really looking forward to trying it. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I'm the target market because, uh, believe it or not, I have never used a password manager, and I'll be migrating over to Bitwarden this month. You can do the same by following their excellent migration guides. Just head over to bitwarden.com slash DLN and get started today for free. And thanks a bunch to Bitwarden for sponsoring this episode and the entire Destination Linux network. So when I was at System76, uh, one of our biggest problems or one of the things we talked about quite often was somebody buys one of those machines. Mm -hmm. They are getting set up to be as productive as, you know, as possible. We didn't want it to feel like when you use Linux, you were behind, you know, because you didn't have Outlook or you didn't have, or you, you, you weren't, know, you weren't like whatever. sacrificing something, right? You weren't handing exactly. or, or right, right. But the problem I felt that I had while I was there was that, um, and I've been using Linux for so long, like, and uh, it's defined my career. And the, uh, the problem was, is that every email app that I used, I just didn't like. I was like, mm -hmm. man, these clients are all crappy. And the ones that weren't crappy had other drawbacks. Um, Nihilus, which is now MailSpring. The problem with MailSpring is that take advantage of all the features. They essentially uh, host all of your email on their servers, which mm. just to me kept setting off red flags. I'm like, do I really want to put anything sensitive in here? Because what happens you know, on the day that there's always just that you know, hack that you're just like, do I really want Ryan.zip sitting out there with all of my inbox? Yeah, and, and it's it's more than paranoia these days, right? Because these huge corporations have proven that, yes, we are going to get hacked. And yes, your information well, is going to be exposed or at least be at risk. I keep, I always put the fear of God in people by saying, are you ready for Telegram.zip or Tinder.zip? <laughs> you know, that's just... <laughs> Sitting there on, I don't think most people, I mean, it would just be very. Messenger. Messenger. Yes. I mean, yeah. Yes, exactly. WhatsApp. Yeah. All of those are just frightening yeah. to think about. I kept just thinking about that. And I saw this role come up at, on the Thunderbird team for a community manager. I just kind of applied on a LARP. And then, uh, and then I had some conversation with them and it wasn't like normal. I was interviewing them at the same time because I was like, if, I, as Thunderbird is right now, like, I think you guys are headed for just kind of the end of the project. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I, I, a lot of loss of relevance, a lot of, you know, issues just regarding the future. It had been rolled out of Mozilla into just like a project under the Mozilla Foundation. Um, and so at the same time that they were asking me questions, I was asking them, like, what do you see for the future? You know, how how do you see this project maturing to a point where it's really able to thrive and not just survive? Interestingly, I just um, I just searched for I googled it, okay, because yes, I usually use DuckDuckGo, but <laughs> um, I I did this to prove a point. I googled Mozilla Thunderbird. You know, Google has this section below the the initial result that says people also ask. And the, the top two entries under people also ask, is Mozilla Thunderbird still supported and is Mozilla Thunderbird dead? Yes. Yep. <laughs> I, well, you know, I was, I was using Thunderbird at System76 and the, 
I felt like it was just kind of heading towards the end, you know, like one of these projects that's just like, doesn't have a lot of mind share. It's uh, like, was it just the mind share or was it the, was it the UI? Well, the was product the wasn't changing. That, right. Okay. You know, so it was just kind of stagnating. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. when things stagnate, you know, uh, especially the people who care about the things that the people who care about, if they're going to be watching the other email clients, what offers me more mm. productivity? If you're using right. an email client, if you're not just using webmail, you know, like you're looking across and you're thinking like, am I, is, does Outlook offer me better results? Does whatever, whatever. Um, mm. Some people, some people just get it installed on their machine, pre-installed and they don't ever ask any questions. I don't know if I'm weird or not. I don't know. I don't know how to be the target audience for Thunderbird um, because I used to use Thunderbird on Windows and this mm -hmm. is way, way back in the day, right? And then Gmail came along. And once Gmail came along, I have been a web-based email guy. And I yeah. recently changed to Proton, but you know they don't have a formal email client. So I just go to protonmail.com and that's it's yeah. one of my pins. I, I kind of wish that I was an email client guy because I recognize that there are so many opportunities there to be more productive, but I just... Um, I don't know well, how to make that transition. You, you know, let me tell you why you're not because I also was at the same time, a lot of days I was just like thinking, so the only reason I was using a client was because, well, there were a few reasons. One reason is you can have all of your accounts in there. So yeah. if you have multiple accounts, it's, it's useful if you don't want to just have multiple tabs open for your different email accounts. There are also reasons why, the you reasons why you wouldn't use Thunderbird. There's a bit of a uh, a bit of a learning curve to using it effectively. It's not exactly intuitive first run. It's made it, the user experience hasn't changed much since a different time for email. But what I always say is Thunderbird can do everything in regards to email. Like I feel like we literally support every part of the email standard in Thunderbird. Mm. Yeah, and. You, if you just go diving in settings, you'll just find all this crazy stuff that like that you won't ever use. But there is someone who like relies on that as like a part of their like workflow or business, and they're just like, I use Thunderbird because it's the only one that has implemented this standard correctly or whatever. Ah, uh, okay, okay. Um, if you give me a fresh Thunderbird install, it still takes me like fifteen minutes to get everything set hmm. up the correct way, um, which is something that. I that we've been working to change in these last three releases I've been a part of. Well, let me let me go back a little bit. I get to Thunderbird. They said, "Okay, you're our second or third hire, and we hired you because we knew we knew we needed a community manager. The community could use some some more engagement. We could mm -hmm. you know grow and improve as a community. Um, but the project was, I think." That year was would have pulled in like five hundred grand over the course of the year, so not bad, you know. Considering there was nobody like working on that, you know, really like as a full time gig or anything. There was just that was just passive donations. Passive from, donations, half a yeah. half a million dollars. Yeah, like that's right. <laughs> that, seems, that seems impressive. By uh, you know, I guess most. Um, measuring most open source projects, that's probably a gargantuan Well, you're talking about of... probably at the time, like 25 to 30 million monthly active users. And wow, so if even really? a small, yeah, if even a small, small percentage of those people give a little bit, mm -hmm. it's still very impressive considering like there was not a lot of appeals to the users for donations. So they were just if kind you, of like, exploring and researching yeah. how do I donate and doing that. Wow. Yeah, that's exactly right. That's amazing. So while we worked on kind of building the community and creating more opportunities to have people just talk about like how to improve Thunderbird more and how to move it forward. Mm -hmm. At the same time, one thing I really wanted to explore was, which ultimately ended up with this treasure hat on, is I wanted to explore what happens if we actually engage with um, our users and tell them what we need and how we can right. grow and how we yeah, can improve. Yeah. 
because 500 grand a year sounds like a lot, but really it's like, I don't know, like three or four good engineers. And that's if you spend all your money just on, you know. Right. And, and you still have to worry about um, salaries oh. and infrastructure and servers yes. and, and, and lawyers and yes. yeah, yeah, so many things. Yeah. So many things. In those days, too, the problem was is that the engineering and the technical debt was quite high. Just holding Thunderbird together and making sure that hmm. it got built and went out to users was, um, it seems strange to say it now because we're so far out from there. But at the time, it was like, this is enough work here, just holding it together that it may not be worthwhile, <laughs> you wow. know? So it sounds like the uh, the morale at, at Thunderbird was really low. Yeah, I mean, you, they, when you joined up, and it got kicked out of Mozilla Corp, and they said, and even you know, if you look, you can see Michelle Baker, who is now serving as the CEO over there, um, saying like, we don't think that it's sustainable. Like Thunderbird is sustainable. Like we don't think it's gonna. <laughs> we're gonna give it to the community, and maybe yeah. you know, can be good stewards of it, but. Like innovation does take resources. And so to, to read that, you're like, okay, well, maybe this is just where Thunderbird is. Like this is what state the product is going to be in. And the best case scenario is that it just maintains this level. We went through that. And then as we actually engaged with the community more, as we shared with them, these are things we'd like to do. This is how you can help us. Whether it was contributing with time contributing mm -hmm. to the code or the website there or what you know whatever outlet that people had the skills for or if it was donating you know we had to make that pitch it's like this is what we need and this is how you can help what were some of the uh the high level like like biggest accomplishments that you guys were trying to chase one thing i wanted to do was uh include more of the community in like the conversation we had like a core group of developers who were longtime volunteers, but not a whole lot of um, ancillary like conversations. Like at the time mm -hmm. there, we had a, somebody who was kind of managing the theme slash UX to a UI, not even the UX, the, the mm -hmm. theme slash UI to a right. degree. Okay. But he was just a volunteer, you know, but there were so many people who were, sharing interesting ideas for Thunderbird for the UX and the UI. And, and so one of the first things was just reaching out and being like, let's start having conversations with these people. Like, let's pull right. them in. Let's make sure that they're sitting in these conversations and sharing their ideas or sharing mock-ups or sharing whatever it is. Cause that's, that's hmm. vital. So, and that's just one example. It was for add-ons too. The add-on developers were over here and we were over here. We've been working really hard on like, how can we have conversations and make sure that it's not two separate groups. It's just, you know, all Thunderbird. That, uh, I, in the short time that I have been in this community, and I say short time because it's been just a little over two years, which, you know, is a drop mm -hmm. in the bucket. I have noticed that there is, there is never a shortage of brilliant ideas, but there's always a shortage of platforms. And, yeah. and ways for those ideas to get heard and implemented. And I think that's where that, that's where the open source bottleneck is. Yeah. And, you know, I can listen, but like, how do I take this idea that somebody has and pass it on to somebody that can actually <laughs> see that implemented or, or bridge? It's the biggest thing I, I would say to anybody working on an open source project, if you're in a position where you can, act as a bridge, you use the correct word. Mm. And that's what I would say 80% of my community management work is, is like hearing something over here and making sure it gets, they get connected with the right person to actually collaborate on an idea or on a bug or on a feature. There's a lot of this where somebody's talking over here, they maybe they have distinct ideas and they're very good, yeah. but all, all open source communities are hard to kind of break into because most things are like someone saying that something needs a change and the main developer is like, well, I'm not going to do that. I've got enough, you know, stuff yeah. I already have to do. Yeah. And so 
it's good to have community managers or other people in the community who can uh, kind of almost act as like a, a representative and say like, you're, you might be overworked or whatever, but if you let these people in and we work together to teach them how to contribute in a meaningful way, then we can, you know, have more minds hacking on this. I know this is nothing special, but most good answers in life aren't anything special. It's, it's like the way to move a open source project forward is to actually engage and be having conversations all of the time. But that is no easy task. No, it burns like all. It burns yeah. like all of my time almost every week. <laughs> um, I can imagine. I am, in a way, the community manager for Linux for everyone. Mm-hmm. And this is a you know significantly smaller operation than what you're involved in. And I can't, I, I can't talk to everybody. I, I can't. Yeah. I, I, cannot even, I cannot even absorb everything that's coming at me, much less respond to it and be proactive. And that yeah. sucks. It really does. I've got in standard notes, I've got lists a mile long of like just suggestions. Like somebody says something, I just copy paste it, throw it in there, like throw it in there, throw it in there. Hey, check this out. Hey, have you tried this? Hey, do you, I have this question. Maybe this is something you can do. And it's, well, it's so challenging. Yeah. One thing you, I mean, yours is, yours is a little different, but you know, a lot of these, a lot of the, the things like you're doing work as communities because you have like, everybody who tunes in, who provides feedback. What I've done at the last, well, actually every, every role I've served in facing community facing is you is mentoring people and then putting them in positions where, you know, they own a piece of this, you know, working on add-ons has been so hard, but you know, I've mentored now like two people to where they understand everything, where they know everybody and then I say, okay, like you guys are add-ons coordinators. That's why communities exist around these projects. Cause if you don't have those people, like there's no way. And also the, there can't be just like one or two guys who know, who know everything because you never know everything. Someone will ask me like, how yeah. do I work on this part of the application? And it's like, I, I have to intro you to somebody. Like there's no way I can know <laughs> intimately the code in every part of. Thunderbird or it's a challenge though, but it's also critical. And when you see open source projects failing, it's usually for reasons around community engagement um, or you just see different projects disappear because they are just run by one guy. That person gets burnt out. And even though they may have plenty of users and plenty of really competent, even developers using it. No one's ready to step into that guy's shoes or, you know, hold up the project. And so. Yeah. It seems that it's either um, it is either because that person just didn't prepare for the eventuality that they would Mm -hmm. get burned out and didn't, you know, didn't mentor someone like you were saying, or, and this is what I struggled with for so long is they, they were hesitant to actually accept help. Yep. You know, you guys have had a lot of help lately from what I understand, both um, financial and, and uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Just contributions. Yeah, there you go. Contributions. Yeah. Development help. And, uh, yeah. and so, I mean, what is, what is the, the big success story recently with Thunderbird? Because it so, seems like when you came into this, it was half dead. And it's been slowly crawling out of the grave and now is, is thriving. Is that kind of the, yeah, the picture that you're painting here? So we engaged our users, we engaged our contributors and, um, the community's probably grown. I don't know. It's hard to say cause it's got tendrils everywhere, but you know, it's probably grown at least a hundred percent. Uh, wow. we, we have our donations have grown three, four X. Um, we're going to, we're going to get $2.1 million in Ooh. donations this year. Fantastic. Um, and that's, that's around, wow. you know, reaching out to donors, explaining, mm-hmm. like I said, like your money goes to infrastructure, your money goes to improving the product, your money goes to paying down technical debt and just repeating this and telling, trying to say it in different ways that 
people can understand. The actual product itself, we had to pay down technical debt. Two years we paid down technical debt. Where did this release, 78, is the release where we actually got to develop new features, new, <laughs> you know, things. And, and that's just a reality of it. But the great thing is that already looking at um, our next stable release. So the stable releases are once a year and we follow Firefox versioning because we share a lot of code, but we don't release every month. So ours doesn't go in a normal 78, 79, 80, right. 80. So the next release should be, I think, 88. And so okay. um, 88 will be, I mean, just to the user will look like a massive jump um, mm. and a lot of just quality of life stuff. But like. the last two releases, well, well, we'll talk about that in a second. Okay. But the last okay. two releases before this one, even though they were massive changes, they didn't look like much of anything because it's just all hmm. this plumbing, all these old, you know, implementations of things that had to be rewritten and and changed in order to ensure that we could build new things on top of Thunderbird. Yeah, that's got to be hard as a user to see that and and go where you know where's the development happening? I don't. This looks the same. It acts the same. So what's what are they? It's been hard doing as a community time. Yeah, because you're because it's like why are we supporting this? You know, whenever like not much is changing, and you have to be very explicit about hmm. this. This is not just a today thing. This is like a two year you know, thing, which is very hard, especially for someone like me who likes to talk about the new and shiny. Does the Thunderbird organization do to attract new users now? We've seen at least lately, a lot of people trying Thunderbird again. And it's it's just going to sound like what I was saying before, but a lot of this is stuff like this. It's mm. is just getting out and talking about what we're doing mm. and doing new things. Um, this most recent release we have open PGP email encryption built into the app. So you don't have to install any third-party software. You can just generate a key or bring your own key and start encrypting email in Thunderbird like the moment you downloading download it. Encryption, privacy, like these are these are the buzzwords that people are being attracted to lately. This is why yeah. Proton Mail is doing so well. What you're saying is you're kind of on a level playing field now with a with a service like Proton Mail. Yeah, and it's it's kind of stems from the ethos of Thunderbird. What this release and the next couple are going to be about, which is bringing all these premium email features to everyone. Premium, if you're, premium for free. Right? <laughs> yeah, premium in some ways. Free. Like for instance, uh, you might be using I don't know, like your telcos email address that they gave you, like when you signed mm -hmm. up for your internet service, but we're going to provide you with an experience that is, you know, comparable to what you might have with like Gmail or ProtonMail's webmail experience. And the great thing is, is that a lot of this is already there in some way, but it needs to be surfaced. Like a lot of the features that would make for a really great, <laughs> enjoyable you know, easy to use uh, it experience in Thunderbird. They're they're there. They just need to be surfaced. And we have um, we have people like Alessandro Castellani who um, has developed. I know that uh, name. Yes, you yeah, see, I know that name. he he has the Akira app on Elementary. Oh right. Has, um, yeah. yeah, and he's our lead UX architect. Probably also so ready for this next release because a lot of the work he's been doing has been relying on so many other, you know, like <laughs> prerequisites. And so the groundwork is, is, has been laid now. This episode of Linux for Everyone is also sponsored by DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean offers the simplest, most developer-friendly cloud platform. It's optimized to make managing and scaling apps easy with an intuitive API, multiple storage options, integrated firewalls, load balancers, and much more. And DigitalOcean recently announced some new features and services like virtual private cloud in all regions free of charge. So this lets you create multiple private networks to isolate your workloads. There's also new quick install droplets that have been added, including Jitsi and Minecraft servers. And you can get all of this plus access to their world-class customer support for as low as $5 US per month.
You can get started on DigitalOcean for free right now with a $100 credit by going to do.co slash DLN. And you can use that $100 credit for spinning up over a dozen droplets or just some monster sized droplets for a couple months. Again, you can get started on DigitalOcean with a $100 credit by going to do.co slash DLN. And thanks once again to DigitalOcean and Bitwarden for sponsoring Linux for Everyone and the entire Destination Linux network. At some point, was Thunderbird sort of the default bundled mail client for Linux distros? Yeah, absolutely. Has that changed? And how, if so, how, how significantly has that changed? I don't think it's changed that much. Our Linux installs are, are pretty significant for, for Linux, you know, c- <laughs> Mm-hmm. Normally, Linux is not that big on on some of these major apps, uh, <laughs> like Numbers. Um, Linux is pretty sizable for us. The other side of that is is if you in, if you grab most Linux distributions, if it's one of the major ones, be it like Fedora or Ubuntu, usually these things come pre-installed. Maybe not now. Maybe it's evolution on Fedora. But I feel like for a while there, every distro that it seemed like I grabbed had Thunderbird just pre-installed, and I think Ubuntu. That's, that's what I. That's what I had seen too. I've seen Geary on a couple, uh, mm-hmm. maybe Evolution, um, but uh, but then there's also. I mean, you also have the Windows side, right? Mm-hmm. Windows is very large. We have a very very large Windows install base. I would guess. Um, well, just based, it's hard because we're also really privacy respecting. Yeah, and so we we don't grab a lot of like data about where, what, what machines Thunderbird is running on necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, we may try to be very careful about that and get more insight into that in the future. But at the moment, it looks like we might have seventy to eighty percent users on Windows, if not more. That's very interesting because a lot of our developers are using. Linux. A lot of our developers come to Thunderbird having used it on Linux and now they're ready to contribute. So uh, that creates this weird thing too, where sometimes there are Windows features that uh, we're slow to implement because, you know, we're not living in that world every day. Uh, is is there a feature parity between Linux and Windows clients? Yeah. And, in, and one thing that we've focused on Lately is um, and that and I would only bring this up because I have good things to say about it. Is uh, we now have some of our developers assigned to different um, platform specific improvements. Mm-hmm. Okay. So one thing that a lot of our users, a surprising amount of users, reached out to me about was minimize to tray on Windows, uh, and we rolled that out. And I can't tell you how many people have <laughs> spoken about that, a feature that I would have, I would probably never use in a hundred years, but you know, it's like to some people that's amazing, but that's a, you know, that implementation was very like window specific and you had <laughs> to understand the platform, you know, and yeah. how Thunderbird needs to interact with it and everything. And so we're also looking at the same type of things with, with each platform to make it feel like it's a, uh, native app, which it should. It's got to be so much trickier on Linux, right? With uh, uh, different you, window managers yes. and desktop environments and, you know, Some, GNOME, like GNOME, everybody wants stuff out of the way and KDE, like, no, I want everything right here yeah. in my panel. And and, and they don't all follow the linuxdesktop.org specs as they should. And right. so you don't always know what environment you're actually <laughs> existing in. And so hmm. that's very difficult. So yeah, you should definitely talk to Cassidy James over at uh, Elementary about this. Sometimes he has very distinct thoughts on this. Oh, I know he's very <laughs> opinionated when it comes to uh, anything UX. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, which is why, which is one of the reasons why I I have a very hard time not using Elementary OS, especially yeah. with 6.0 that's around the corner. Man, it's I have to say it's the best Linux distribution. Just saying. Uh, I well, <laughs> I don't know. I I don't know if I can. I don't know if I can put a flag in the ground and say like yeah. pop OS is the best elementary is the best, you know, 
because I understand you can't have, buy, but I can. <laughs> that you you are more than welcome to, but yeah, and it's the only the only thing that stops me with elementary is battery life. Really? That's it. Now there are tools that I've discovered since the last time that I used elementary OS that mm-hmm. might change that that argument. We'll, well see. I have a Dell XPS thirteen over here. I think mm-hmm. it's the in 2018. So the 73, no, 9370? Yes, that yeah. sounds right. Yeah. Okay. Because um, that name makes complete sense. Yeah, yeah I, I told, <laughs> I'll tell you this in a moment, but but because uh, I told Barton a while back, I was like, why can't you guys just, just give them human readable names? I, like just... Barton Barton was so apologetic when when he was talking to me about the 7390 developer edition. I was like, "Yeah. What's it called? What is the model number? 7390? It sounds yeah. like it's two generations older than the 9370 that I yeah. have already." Yeah, why not? Why are you guys doing that? But why I know not? it's not them. I know it's Dell proper. It's not it's still like it's not the it project Sputnik year, gang, but give it a year or give it or give it a cool name. Call it like I don't know, Phoenix or something like that. Or, you know, like, sure. sure. Yeah. 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 I mean, Excalibur, that would be cool. I, if I could buy the Dell XPS Excalibur, like I, I'd buy it just to take a page from AMD. Okay. Take a page from (laughs) AMD with their CPUs. Oh, Threadripper. Threadripper was, it was the code name, but then it was like, oh, this has to be the real name. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. The name of the product is Threadripper. Exactly. But no, uh, I was just going to say my battery life went from like uh, when I I put elementary on here and, and I was worried that I just worried about battery life. I've always had bad battery life. I don't know why. It's very comparable to Windows. I at the, I was dual booting for a little bit doing docu- documentation for Thunderbird yeah. on how to build it on Windows. But as I was doing that, I was really just shocked that I could go to the coffee shop in the morning and then go hang out somewhere else in the afternoon with both OSs mm-hmm. and, and the, and it seemed like the same. It seemed like the battery was always discharged the same. I didn't have to charge it all day. So I'm very pleased. Perhaps, but I bet if you put pop OS on that same Dell, that it would be longer battery life than both elementary and windows. Well, if they, if they do, I, I don't know if, if they are going to do this with the next elementary release, but if they do the, uh, what is it called? You know, the battery optimization stuff, just how the box, you know, that can make an extraordinary difference. And I say all this, but there's no reason to trust myself and my memory that I didn't at one point do that. <laughs> uh, I mean, I, I think, you know, this is just experiential, right? It's, it's uh, ah, I forget the word, but yeah. I don't have hard benchmarks to prove that yep. you know, Pop OS is fifteen percent longer battery than Fedora, and twenty five percent more than Elementary. And I don't have any hard yeah. data to prove that. It's just how it feels. But man, I love. I'm with you. I love. I adore the way that Elementary OS looks and feels. Yeah. And if so, if they were to improve the battery life with six point I'm. Uh, why are there so yeah. many good distributions? That's. I wish that they more of them would suck. <laughs> so that the choice wouldn't be so hard, right? You know, I was well, just about I was just about to go to Fedora and and Elementary, right? Actually, I was about to stick with Elementary OS, and then System seventy six comes along, and they're like, "Window auto tiling in twenty oh four." I was like, hmm. "Oh my god, I've got a I've got a huge um, ultra wide, yeah. and I can't live without window auto tiling now." Yeah. So it's stuff like that, just. Anyway, I know well, we're way off topic here, but that usually happens on, spoiled, on the show. I tried to, I won't name the distro if I'm going to, if I'm going to distro shame, but I did try another one here recently. Just, uh, they, they're not focused on the, the UX is not like their number one focus. It's other things, but mm-hmm. then you, you miss like being able to do like smart tiling of windows and you miss all of the the little things that. Yeah, it's yeah. I understand. Yeah, but there yeah. are so so many good ones and you almost can't go wrong if you grab, you know, one of the main <laughs> distros that No, not at all. Absolutely yeah. not. Absolutely not. Well, all right, let's bring this back around to you. And I want to ask you a couple questions just off the top of my head. Why should people who are who are 
using webmail now, whether that's Gmail or or even Outlook.com or you know Proton Mail, what advantage does a native email client like Thunderbird have over these web-based services? There's probably a lot of people listening that are like me. You know, they have protonmail.com or gmail.com as a as a pen on their browser, and that's where they go and that's where they do their email. When I use Thunderbird, I'll just give the anecdotal answer. Is that's it's the word like, I was looking for earlier was anecdotal when it came to battery life. Thank you. Okay, sorry. First off, it's a native application. It downloads your email, and so the email then is, exists on your machine, and which means that speed is always like as good as it's going to be. Like, mm. you know, it's not having to load it necessarily unless unless it has like third party content that it has to reach out to the internet to grab. Right. Like it's okay. it's going to yeah. load instantaneously. Mm-hmm. It's just a tab, an alt tab away, and unlike. Uh, all of the the browser tabs you already have. I love that it's like self-contained. It's its own thing, you know, and when I click on one of the notifications, which I know there are browser notifications, but like when I click on one of the notifications, it takes me exactly into that email, like, and I can really quick just use mm-hmm. my keyboard shortcuts and reply. And it's, I mean, frankly, we've got a ton of add-ons, uh, and How, so, can you talk about some of those that because um, that's something that you know is definitely lacking with web-based mm-hmm. mail. The the whole thing is it's like the reason that you use Linux. You can make the same argument for Thunderbird. Is it's flexible? It mm-hmm. it is like open and it's it, the experience is exactly what you end up making it. That's like I have Thunderbird conversations installed which kind of gives it an almost um, a Gmail experience. Like you, you load it up and you have your, your threads on the, on the, well, for me, it's on the left, but you can arrange it however you want. Mm-hmm. And then I'm looking at it now. So, <laughs> and then on the right, you know, you have these threads with like the, the person's picture up in the, I don't know how to describe this. Uh, uh, almost like a, a they, like a uh, like a threaded conversation on uh, Facebook or Twitter or something, or like a f- threaded forum, maybe. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You, you and you and you almost like a forum. Yeah. Okay, one thing that I I really I'm not going to use the word hate here, but I very 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 intensely dislike it is in in Proton Mail. Like sometimes I just I, I want to see the whole conversation at a glance. You know, mm-hmm. I've got this email thread with with like two engineers from Lenovo and Matt of Fedora and Mark Pearson at Lenovo and some Red Hat PR people <laughs> because we've been going back and forth on the, the Fedora ThinkPads for like three months. And, yep. and sometimes I just want to be able to just look at the conversation instead of like, oh, click that open, load, click that open, load, click that one open, load. You should try conversations. You know, it okay. shows them all in the like where you can just go down the, the list and, and see the content. That is exactly what I want to see. Yes. We have so many users reach out to us who say like this add-on is like what makes like Thunderbird worth using, but also what makes my email like manageable. And that's the type of thing oh, that is hard to like get across to people, especially if you just, if you install Thunderbird, you, you leave everything default and you use it. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's just not Thunderbird. No one does that. Like no one who ends up sticking with it does that. They all have very specific ways that they've set up filters and set up like Hmm. just like how everything is sorted. And when you start asking people, they're like, yeah, my email is sorted this way. It's displayed this way. And I'm using X add-on to do whatever. Okay. It's Uh, a power tool. Let me play play critic for a minute Mm -hmm. or devil's advocate. If you have so many people customizing it and not wanting to use it, not wanting necessarily to use vanilla Thunderbird. Isn't that a problem for adoption? It is. And that's what, that's why, well, now I get to go back to what started our elementary conversation. That's why we brought Alessandro on, you know, and that's why we're putting so much thought into the UX because people shouldn't have to dig down to figure out the best way to use Thunderbird. It should be able to be set up in default the best way to use Thunderbird. And then people should have the freedom to change it to 
you know, how, however best suits them, but out of the box, right. you know, all of the little things. And that's something that has, for many, many reasons, we hadn't been able to focus on until this release and then the upcoming release. I acknowledge that that can be daunting. What is the, the sane default experience that is going to make hopefully most people happy? I think that's what, um, that's what turned me away from Thunderbird back in the day on Windows when I was still using mm-hmm. Windows was that I recognized it was powerful and I recognized that it was useful, but it took too much tinkering. It took too much. It's kind of like using XFCE, right? Like you can make XFCE look beautiful, but out of the box, man, (laughs) it's not that great. It's on this computer over here. I can see it right now. And I agree with you completely, Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. yeah. And that's been a long time. So I'm going to check it out. I'm going to throw it on this ThinkPad. And and, uh, can I, can I use ProtonMail accounts? Yeah. On Thunderbird? Yeah, you just... You have to you have the bridge, to, though, the ProtonMail bridge, bridge yeah. but you can still... Okay, okay. Yep. I, on mine, I have my work account and then my ProtonMail account and then just a, a mm. test account uh, that I use for okay. Okay. stuff. So, And then I would also encourage you... So we in this release, this most recent release, we rolled out things like dark mode <gasps> and, like the, and just a bunch of it, small improvements like that that are... Oh, and, you know, one thing is to use Thunderbird, you also have to kind of go, you have to go all into it, like get your calendar in there, get your tasks in there. Yeah. Okay. Okay. You know, and that's, that's actually one thing I've been thinking about recently. You sent me an invite for this interview Mm -hmm. and I had in ProtonMail, I had no means to actually like accept it and Mm -hmm. add it to a calendar. And that kind of made me upset. (laughs) <laughs> I was like, man, if I had opened this in Gmail, I could have added it to my calendar. If I would have opened it in in just some other thing, but yes. no, I had to I had to like manually make a calendar entry for it because I was in Proton Mail. So yeah, with the PGP uh, update, which we we did already have that in an add on, we actually worked with the add on author to bring that functionality into Core. You have a lot of great things too, where you you send me an email, it's signed. You know, I can add your stuff, and we can just start, we, I can add your public key. We could start doing, you know, back and forth encrypted email, but I don't have to think mm. about it that much. It's just like, oh yeah, he sent me this. Like, okay, I'll click it. Add. like, now we're having an encrypted conversation. And from then on, like, you're both not thinking about the fact that it's encrypted. It's just Thunderbird has just stored those keys and it's just happening. The point I'm trying to make, I guess, is that what we're trying to do right now is make all of these little things just like convenient and something you don't have to think about that much in Thunderbird. You're just nice. like, yeah, it knows what to do. It does the right thing. It it sounds to me like during your time there, it has been mostly a rebuilding phase. Would that be mm-hmm. accurate to say? Yeah. And it, then next it, with the next release, which is what you said, 88. If you're listening to this or watching this in August, 2021, give Thunderbird a try because it sounds yeah. like it's going to blow your mind. If like me, you used it, I don't know, seven years ago and, and maybe we're not that impressed. And uh... Or hop on the beta. The release cadence is the same as um, Firefox. And, okay. it's, and it's not like the nightly. It's not, it's, you know, you're very, it's very unlikely it's just going to crash, <laughs> like, mm-hmm. you know? And so the beta is generally, I mean, I'm using the stable release right now because it's new, but, you know, generally I'm writing on the beta and, and it's great to see, all of these things as they like come to life every month. Yeah. Yeah. And it, yeah. And especially Linux users are people who are technically inclined. Like we like the bleeding edge unless, <laughs> yeah, exactly. unless we don't like, I don't yeah. like, I don't like the bleeding edge on my production machine. No. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, Not I, sh- I want a stable distro, but I want bleeding edge software, which makes yeah. me kind of a walking contradiction, I guess, but ah, yeah. whatever. Yeah. Like I won't do a rolling release. But I want the latest versions of, you know, Audacity and OBS and Shotcut or, you know, whatever. Well, any, uh, any closing thoughts? I would encourage people, obviously, to, to try out Thunderbird. Um, the other thing I would say is if you are on Twitter at Moz Thunderbird or follow me at Ryan Lee Sipes if you want to hear about my musings. Yep. And then uh, we'll have, I'll have links to, uh, 
pretty much all that stuff, like where you can get Thunderbird, where you can follow, where you can contribute, where you can donate, all that in the show right. notes. And the last thing is when you support projects like Thunderbird or Firefox, just even by using them, um, it matters. You're voting with your time. You're voting with maybe your money if you contribute to them. And that's important uh, because when you don't, those things are in danger of going away. And then I, I am in a very tricky situation that, that relates to exactly what you just said, because I recently uh, not switched, but I decided to try the brave browser because I I have been using Firefox for years. Like that's all I've ever Uh used. And I like it. Thank you very much. I'm comfortable with it. But Uh I thought, you know, as someone who's covering Linux and I I should, I should see how the other half lives, you know, see what this is all about. I'm really torn right now because I understand that, you know, Firefox has a diminishing market share and, and Google is just kind of owning the web and that's dangerous. And I, I I acknowledge that, but at the same time, my struggle is, well, brave is actually much faster and smoother than Firefox is. What do I do about that? You know, yeah, maybe we got to make Firefox better then. Right. Yeah. When the web is optimized for like blink, because that's what most users are on when it's optimized for Chrome, essentially, you know, it's, yeah. it's very hard to compete with that because, you know, your developers who are making these web apps or websites, they're doing a lot of their testing in, in Chrome. And that's yeah. unfortunately the challenge yeah. when you're up against like a monopoly and brave is smart because and they're leveraging that. But at the same time, it's also scary because it's like, what if by default, Google ends up owning essentially like what the web looks like because they maintain the project that is the and we're not implementation. That, we're not that far from that being the case, you know? Yeah. Um, and, you know, that's we already saw Google abuse there. I'm not speaking as a Mozilla spokesman. Like, I, they don't pay me to do that. They don't. And necessarily endorse what I'm saying, but we've already seen what they, how they will abuse their place by saying like, this isn't compatible. Like you can't run, you know, whatever it is. Like I remember for a while, this was happened all the time, but I would load up a web app, a Google web app in Firefox. And it would say like, this doesn't run, your browser's not supported. But if you go and you change the user agent, it it runs just fine. The worst thing is that Google gaining this power when we've when they've shown that they already aren't good stewards of it by not allowing people on other browsers to essentially use, you know, their services unless they those are really like anti-competitive things to do. And this is just not cool. And so like Brave is, is actually a good mission, like trying to be good for the internet, trying to be good for its users. It's just, it's just it is too bad that every person using Brave is just another, in a way, another tool for Google to continue its supremacy. Yeah. And see, it's not like I thought about, I didn't think about that. I, Mm -hmm. I intentionally said, well, I'm not using, I'm not using Chrome, but oh wait, Mm -hmm. actually I am using Chrome. I did use Brave for a while when it first came out. It's like fast, especially when you're blocking trackers and other things, you know, like you're going to have even more speed ginned out of that thing. I really, really hope that as Firefox continues to iterate and focus on the things that that they can uniquely do around privacy and stuff that it's competitive. And so I'm not paid by the Mozilla Corporation, the folks who make Firefox. So this is actually like truly how how I feel. But I've started using like Lockwise and playing around with their VPN and, you know, using some of these other things around you know, the Firefox. Yeah. Their whole ecosystem, like Firefox send Mm -hmm. is wonderful. Yep. And pocket, I save a lot of articles in pocket. And sometimes I even discover from like friends, you know, interesting Mm -hmm. stuff in pocket. And it is, it is real. It is quite nice. I'm hoping that as they kind of narrow their focus to like improving all of their offerings, that people will find more value outside of just the browser, but they still have to compete on the browser front and, you know, hopefully in the end, the good thing for the internet survives and wins out. I don't know what the date was. Let's say, I think it was Sunday, August 30th. 
mm-hmm. there was a huge internet outage from what mm-hmm. I can tell around the world. Yes. And, and it was all, my understanding was it was all down to CenturyLink going down, <laughs> which disrupted Cloudflare, which like c- completely screwed so yeah. many people over here in Croatia, in Asia, in the US. It, I mean, that was really frightening to yeah. see that one little spoke in a, yeah. in a sea of spokes Yes. Went down and the whole bicycle fell off the sidewalk. This is like my kick lately. Decentralized, mm. standardized web. Um, in this case, you know, Cloudflare is a very large dependency of a lot of organizations, which I can't blame them. It's They're very good at what they do. At the same time, it's also very different than the internet. That, that existed at one point and then I imagine would continue to exist and even be even more, you know, decentralized and crazy than it was whenever I got into tech, you know, I was like, in the future, like, you know, maybe like my phone will be like the web server for my whatever. And like, I mean, you could technically nice, do that, it's a nice <laughs> but, yes. but it's like, instead we're like more and more and more centralized and that's, crazy that's not really the way things are supposed to be but maybe that'll change maybe <laughs> maybe at some point it maybe it will get so terrible that uh there will be some kind of <laughs> we have the technology you know but we can no, rebuild we, it yeah but we we honestly do and there's like so many cool things like activity pub you know which is behind mastodon i mean rss never died <laughs> and uh and I like, need to get back into does, does Mozilla have an add-on for RSS still? I mean, you, sorry. You don't need it. You don't need does it. Does Thunderbird have an uh, add-on for RSS? It's built yeah, in. It's just built in. And we're and we're looking at building an activity pub so you'd be able to track like oh. what people were posting on. Well, it, activity pub doesn't have to just be, you know, like Mastodon. There are other there are actually other, I guess, applications that are also using Activity Pub for posting, you mm-hmm. know, updates. The other thing we're we're building right now is a matrix uh, implementation into the chat. Man, so mm. the the idea is that at least when it comes to communication, that you know Thunderbird could be a place you go to do your decentralized, standardized communication. But there was some comments on Twitter about how man, isn't it nice that you know you only need to install one email client and and there's you know a million different chat apps, right? Imagine yes. if all of those were in your email client. That would be yeah. ah, so wonderful. Yeah. I've gone on and on, but we do actually have like a lot of technologies that would allow us to move away from these centralized things. The problem is like, how do you bring your whole family over to, you know, how do you get your, those people who aren't technical over to these things? And it just means that the services and the applications have to get better. And easier and easier to use yes, also. Yeah. Yeah, I agree 100%. It's a chicken and egg deal because, I mean, now Thunderbird's getting better because people threw in on us, but not everybody starts out where we kind of rebooted at, which is 30 mm. million users. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's like right. it, most, most, um, most startups or platforms don't have that advantage to build on top of. And so uh, we're going to do what we can, but hopefully other people will have be able to get their stuff out there too. I wish you guys luck. It looks like you're, uh, it looks like you're on a very good path to kind of that resurgence and that, that, you know, blowing people's yeah. minds again, like, uh, like Thunderbird used to. So that's cool. Anyway, Ryan, you thank you. <laughs> thank you for, uh, for hanging out for like 90 minutes and, and chatting about this stuff and, Thanks for going off on a few tangents with me. That's that's always fun. I think we'll have to circle back on this in about a year or so. And yeah. uh, in the meantime, I'm going to try out Thunderbird. I'm going to try and migrate over. Let me hook you up with some preferences I have, and then oh, maybe you can, and then maybe you can share those with your users. I like. I'm liking how this sounds your, because uh, if you have a certain like, if somebody followers. at Thunderbird has a certain setup that they like, there's there's probably a good reason for that, right? Yeah. 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 And then we can, and then maybe even your, your followers, your, your audience can try that same thing and share, share some of their feedback with us 
in a way that we can, you know, okay. like okay. Yeah, hear yeah, yeah. from people who are interested in this. Like, what are you, what are you liking? What are you not liking? A big thank you to Ryan for joining us on this episode of Linux for Everyone. And if you guys want to get involved with Thunderbird, if you want to, you know, get in touch with Ryan or contribute or donate or anything, all the links you need will be either in the show notes for this episode or in the description on YouTube and library. So until we chat again, may your email adventures be awesome and uh, take care and take care of each other. Had a lot of fun. Thanks. Yeah, me too. Bye.